If you'll take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 1, I want to preach a message this morning um, that is, is both exciting to preach and at the same time very revealing and personal. And so, um, you, you know, just bear with me as I preach this sermon. There are some nerves and those kind of things, and I've asked God to, to remove those and to make this message very clear and very exalting to Him. Philippians chapter 1, but we'll be looking at verses 3 through 11. In the fall of last year, um, I told Amy that I just had a, I had a feeling, I didn't know where it was coming from, that, that it might be time for me to you know, explore opportunities, to look around and think about new ministry opportunities that might, the Lord might have for our family. And... That was a very huge step for me because I'd never done that before. I had opportunities offered to me, but I had never personally gone to look at an opportunity or to think about an opportunity. It just never had crossed my mind uh, before. And so the first step was to go to our elders and to talk with them, and, which I did. And, and through the four men in that room, um, I was encouraged to follow the Lord's leadership and also encouraged to make certain that all of the reasons for possibly going to a new ministry were positive, as far as I could tell. These are all positive things. There's nothing, there's nothing negative going on in your heart. There's nothing negative that you feel about Grace Fellowship or that you're feeling from Grace Fellowship. Just make sure, Carlton, this is positive, that you're, you're moving on positively. And I was certain I was. And so we continued on in that process. In January of this year, um, we were made aware of an opportunity in Hong Kong to uh, look into pastoring a church there, which is very uh, vibrant and growing, and to come alongside a pastor that started the church uh, about 18 months ago and just pastor alongside him for a couple years and then launch out into a new ministry. And so I started that application process, and again, the elders said, listen, we're not, we, you know, we just want to make sure you're doing this for positive reasons, and, and I was certain that I was, and so the process continued. And then we came to the end of May when I talked with you about going and visiting Hong Kong and the ministry there. And um, it was from that day until the day that we decided not to go that God did a tremendous uh, amount of work in my heart and some opened my eyes to some things and I don't think it's fair uh, to stay guarded about that and not share that with you and and so I want to do that this morning I want to just lay my life out there in front of you and to say you know here's the here's the positive things that were going on here's the here's the sin that was involved and because um, there's some of both and just to, to just to be an example um, you know, it's easy to be held up as an example when things are right. And everybody says, boy, he's got it all together. Boy, he's doing wonderful work. Boy, God's using him. It's not so easy to be transparent about when there's sin in your life. Um, but that's not helping you, and that's not helping me. And so that's, this is personal. It's very, uh, very, very personal, and I hope it's help, helpful to you in your Christian walk. And it is scriptural, and so I want to read Philippians 1 verses 3 through 11, and then we'll look at that passage together. I thank my God, Paul writing, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I told you in my, because I hold you, excuse me, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my, heart, my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul writes the, book of, the letter of, of Philippians to the church at Philippi while under imprisonment, waiting a death sentence. Really, this is the end of the apostle's life. He's an older man. He's been burdened with persecution. He's been burdened with the weight of the church for many years since his conversion to Christ from Judaism. And now he's writing, in a sense, a farewell letter to his most favored church. And why do I say that? If you read Paul's letters, his churches don't disguise, I mean, his letters don't disguise the sin in the church, do they? Think about his letters to Corinthians. When he writes to the Corinthians, he's chiding them always about their sexual sin, about their overlooking and refusing to discipline sin, about their questioning of his authority as an apostle. He's having to work and deal with them constantly about sin in their life. If you look at the book of Galatians, read that sometime and compare not now, but later, read Galatians and compare the introduction of Galatians to the other letters. He doesn't commend them about anything. That should strike you. He does Corinth. He does Philippi. He does the church at Colossae. He does at Ephesus. He does not at Galatia. Because Galatia has strayed even further than the other churches. And he just immediately jumps into a doctrinal dispute they're having among the church about the gospel. And so, Paul is very open about the sin that's involved. If you read the book of Philippians closely, he waits until the last chapter. It's not until chapter 4 that the Apostle Paul says, Okay, ladies, there are disputes in the church there. Now, we need to mend those fences. His letter to the church of Philippi is filled with joy. As a matter of fact, it's known as the letter of joy. The apostle is excited about what God is doing in the church of Philippi. We're not going to look at it today, but he says here that it is this church which sponsored his ministry when no one else would give. Everyone else forgot their pledge to him. Everyone else cut off the monetary support. Not the church at Philippi. They continued to send and give even when he wasn't there with them. They were a church that loved the gospel as much as the Apostle Paul loved the gospel. And the Apostle Paul loved them because they loved the gospel. And there was this great joy which was created in his heart towards the people of Philippi. If you look there at verse 3, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, his thanksgivings are always tied to prayer. Look at verse 4, which starts out, in every prayer. He's not thanking them personally, often. I'm sure he does when he's around them, thank them. And he writes it here in the letter. But more than anything, daily he thanks God for the church of Philippi. In his prayer. Uh, is that a discipline for you? 
Do you spend more time thanking people than thanking God? Often, if we're not careful, we fall into the trap of thanking people so that they like us more. It's a backhanded thanks. It's not a real gratitude. And the way we can see that in our lives is we're thankful to the people and never thankful to God. That can develop in your heart and that lack of thankfulness will erode your relationships. It will erode your relationship with Christ. It will erode your relationship with other people. It will erode your relationship with the church. It will erode everything that you hold dear. It will take it all. Because what replaces thankfulness is a spirit that says, I deserve these things. As I've examined here uh, this passage and thought about my own life, I've had to repent of my lack of thankfulness to the Lord. I, don't, I can't really put my hand or finger on something and say, that's it. That's where it started. It just gradually took over. A lack of thankfulness. I could excuse it away as being busy, having a lot to do, being a young father, trying to get a doctoral degree, pastoring a church, keeping a relationship with my wife. I could excuse it away in background and lots of things, but I just want to say to you publicly that I have not been as thankful to the Lord as I should be. Why should I be thankful? I should be thankful because God has saved me. God has saved me. Tied to thankfulness in the Scripture is the realization that we are sinners. We don't deserve anything. Everything we receive is a gift. And so, Paul here is thanking God as he remembers the church in his prayer. He only tells them about his thankfulness later, on the back end, not up front. He's thankful to God primarily. He's thankful to God because the, God has granted salvation. God has granted great joy in salvation. He has granted to Paul a partner in the gospel from the first day until now. You see that in verse 5. He's thankful for the church's salvation. He's joyous over that salvation because they have become partners with him in the gospel. They're joined with him in the work. And so he exhibits a godly thankfulness. Secondly, in this passage in verses 6 through 7, we see that the Apostle Paul is certain that the gospel will complete its work in the people. The Apostle Paul does not believe that the Apostle Paul gets people saved, keeps them saved, grows them in grace, or his labor on behalf of them in any way should be counted as responsible for their growth in faith. You see that? Look what he says. It, it, it Maybe as you read it, you didn't see it in this way, but he says, I'm sure of this. Sounds like he's saying, I'm sure of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful. He will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who began the good work in the Philippians? Say it. Who began that? Paul? No, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God reaching into the sinful heart of man, the center of their being, grabbed that and made it alive, granted it a new beginning, 
And in that new beginning was their salvation and their sanctification. And Paul is saying, I have no doubt whether I'm here or over there, whether I live or whether I die, whether I ever preach another message at Philippi, God will finish the work that God started in the people at Philippi. I didn't start it. God started it. I won't complete it. God will complete it. And so first, he's thankful to God for the people. Secondly, he is confident that God will finish the work that God began. And it causes him, in verse 7, to say, to defend this emotion, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. At the very center of who he is, Paul holds on to the people of the church. He's not here, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if the Apostle Paul had been asked Aaron's question, somewhere in the top five, the church would have landed. It wouldn't have been first, because that would have been Christ and his personal relationship with him. But somewhere, if not second, I don't think it would have gone below three. One day we can ask him. Do you notice he says, you're in the center of my being. You're in my bowels. That's really what the word means, not heart. It means bowel. It means gut. It's that feeling, that, that butterfly feeling that you get about that pretty little girl, that handsome young man, that little flutter that happens, that, that flush of red that comes over you. That He gets that rush about the church. You're in the center of who I am. If you cut yourself, if, I, if I'm cut away from you, church, I won't be the same Paul. That's how much he loved the people because God had saved them. He was thankful for that. And it made them an equal partner with him in the ministry, which drove him to be confident that God would complete the work he had started and caused him to be even more in love with them. They were to the very core of his being. Finally, in verses 8 through 11, the Apostle Paul calls on God to witness this affection that he has. That is not a human affection, but it's it's an affection given by Christ. I don't love you because you're like me. I don't love you because you come from the same background as me. I don't love you because you agree with me all the time, or I agree with you all the time. I I don't love you because it's easy to love you. I love you because Christ in me loves you. It's a deep center of the being emotion that Paul has for this church. In verse 9, he completes this thought about his prayer. He started the thought back in verse 4 because he says, As I pray with great joy, I thank God for the partnership that we have. But his prayer is completed in verse 9 when he says, My prayer for you is that that your love may abound more and more. So I'm praying to God that you would love more and more with knowledge and discernment, all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. That you may give witness to that which is excellent, that which is righteous, that which is true. The gospel is in view here, I believe. That you would give witness to, approve of the things that are excellent, and so by doing that be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's the gospel that saved you. It's the gospel that sanctified you. And eventually, it is the gospel that will glorify you before the Father. 
The gospel will do it all. This great message of the gospel. And on that day, when you stand before Christ, pure and blameless, holy, set apart, looking like Jesus, when you stand there, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise will go not to the Apostle Paul, but to God, because he's the one who did it. Now that's, that's the exposition of the text, the explanation of the text. Now I want to quickly move to an application in my life and with you. Okay? So now it becomes more personal. As I thought about the reasons to go, why should I go to Hong Kong? What, what would be accomplished in that? The call of the gospel was primary. I've talked a lot here. I've used the word gospel a lot. I want to make it clear what I mean when I say gospel. What you heard Olivia give in the baptismal pool was not the gospel. What she gave was a testimony to the work of the gospel. The gospel is not something that you do. The gospel is something God has done. And we receive the gospel as the good news that it is. The word gospel means good news. It is the message of what God has already completed in Christ. So when you say, I shared the gospel with someone, what do you mean, what do I mean? I want to say, what, why would I say the gospel, I felt the gospel call strongly to share the gospel with the people in Hong Kong? What, what was I talking about? It was not to go over there and share with them my American ideals of how I think they ought to be better people and look more like me. That was not my desire, as far as I can see it. What I wanted to do was tell them the gospel truth, which is this, simply put, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives us the gospel. The gospel is this. God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and sinless, law-abiding, law-keeping, law-fulfilling life on our behalf because we could not. And He was crucified, not because of His sin, but because of your sin and my sin. Which means, when I share the gospel, what I'm telling them is, Jesus died for you. For me. For you. And he had to die for real sin. The gospel is not an opportunity for someone to be saved. The gospel is God saving people at the cross. So when we say we're proclaiming the gospel, what we're holding out is Jesus Christ living and breathing, law-abiding, law-keeping, law-fulfilling life. He is life. And in him, there is no shortness of life. He is the light of God to us. And then... He laid Himself down on the cross and died. Not because He had sinned, but because I had sinned. And because millions of other of His children had sinned. And His only desire in doing that was to glorify His Father and reconcile His brothers. Bring them back to God. The gospel is completed. You didn't do any part of the gospel, neither did I. God did it. Aren't, I mean... Some of you are tearing up, and in our church, that means you got it. I mean, because we're not, we, we're not real vocal. So when I see you start tearing up and nodding heads, we're good. You get it, don't you? It is miraculous. It is amazing. It, is, it still should blow our minds that God has done this. 
And that message going forth to the people of Hong Kong was primary in my heart. I say that humbly because I believe it was God's call there. 95% of the people of Hong Kong are without the light of the gospel. It's an astounding number. For a, a country, a part of a country that is not behind the Iron Curtain of Communism, that is readily available to the rest of the world in many ways. And yet, when you look into their eyes, there is nothing but depression and darkness. They don't have the light of the gospel. So that was one reason to go. Secondly, was a love for the people of China. It's no secret that I love the people of China. My wife loves the people of China. We have a beautiful daughter from China. And so, yes, there is a still a love for those people, for the, the, the tribe and nation known there. And so, for them to know, that, that still is there. And so that was in my heart. There was a desire to be an example. A desire to live out what I have preached. That it is worth, the gospel is worth giving up life and comfort and going. That was also in my heart. A desire to be an example. There was a good ambition that, that was residing in my heart. An ambition for the gospel. And Romans 15 says, an ambition that says, those people don't know God and I want them to know God. If they don't hear it, they will die without Him and they will face an eternal hell. And there's an ambition to get to them. All of these things are true. And all these things are things that I admitted publicly and privately. What I failed to do was share with you the very real sin that exists. Because that good ambition easily becomes bad ambition. And that desire to have Christ be known can easily become a desire to have Carlton known. Over, again, I can't put a finger on it, but as I look back, over some time, slowly, the pride of desiring to be known beyond the borders of this church, beyond the borders of this community, became very real in my heart. For that, I'm sorry. Um, there's no excuse for it. God is kind. And in His gentle mercy, He often runs us to the place where we see our sin. And it just took me going halfway around the world, unfortunately. And putting you through a lot of turmoil for me to see it. Again, we could say, I could say, oh, you know, I'm just a young man, and young men are ambitious, and I had a difficult upbringing, to say the least, and so a lot of those things started to play in my mind, and I have a propensity to want men to approve of me, and when I don't feel like I'm being approved of, then I seek approval 
Even to the point of doing really radical things so that people will see it and approve of me. And that's just because of my background and just because of the way I was brought up. The truth is, it's that way because I'm a sinner. The truth is, when you act that way, like I was acting, it is sin. The Apostle Paul did not go to Philippi. What I, the reason I tied in here is, the Apostle Paul did not go to Philippi because he wanted people to think, boy, the Apostle Paul is real sacrificial. He went, as far as we can see, only because the gospel called. Only because he desired Christ's name to be known. Only because he was burdened for the lost souls that existed in that region of the world. And though I have that, it was not purely that. There was also a selfishness, a desire to be known, to gain recognition. When I was in Hong Kong, I became readily aware of the fact that what I wanted in some ways was for people to say, remember Carlton? Wasn't he awesome? I mean, he went off to Hong Kong. I mean, who does this kind of thing? He's radical. He's living for Jesus. I wanted in some ways to be recognized there, to be seen as, a, again, approved as someone who can and is capable of, of leading a church in a totally different context. So there could be no mistake that what's going on in Grace Fellowship wasn't a mistake or an accident or chance, but he's done it again, so therefore... It must be, he must be doing something right. In bottom line, slowly over time, the pride of accomplishment had replaced the joy of the gospel. Now, when you see those kind of things, the tendency is to hide them. At least it is for me. Maybe you're not like me. And so, initially, I repented to the Lord and said, that's enough, right, Lord? That's, that's, that's all that needs to be done. I can, we can move on now. But over the last few weeks, as I've thought and prayed, it's become more important that I say those things to you openly and publicly. Because of that loss of gospel ambition replaced by the pride and arrogance of, of being somebody and being recognized, there becomes a disconnect that is there, but no one can really put their hand on why it's there. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just something you probably felt, some of you, and especially those closer to me, and, and something I readily felt in my own heart. It's just, a, just a, not, a, not a lack of love, in a sense, not a... Uh, not an anger, not a frustration, just disconnect. Because, as best I can see it, once the gospel is replaced as the purpose of what's going on here every week and every day, then when things don't go as I think they should, then there becomes a fr that frustration is internal. And so there's a push away. That's just instinctive. That what the church isn't what I, all that I want to be, so, you know, push it away. Do, Get some separation. And so that disconnect uh, happens not just for me. What I, 
what I would say to you is it happens to you. For some of you, it's happening in your marriage right now. Your spouse has hurt you, or you've hurt your spouse. And because they are at the base and not the gospel, you can't deal with it. And so you push them away. And this coldness develops in your marriage. And you start telling your buddies, I don't know, I mean, she's a great woman, but I just, I, she, I'm just not in love with her anymore. Start saying cute, cute little worldly phrases like, I love her, but I don't like her. And so, again, this pushback happens, this disconnect happens, this drift sets in, the gospel is not at the center, selfishness and pride is there, and the desire to be served rather than to serve. And so all of that gets inside of a pastor in his church or gets inside of a marriage. And let me tell you what happens with pastors. What happens with pastors is they go look for another place to minister, and they find it, and they come and say, I've only got two weeks or a month left. God's called me to another place. Not always, but in some cases. And the church responds by saying, well, that's great. Well, we can start over, get a new guy. There's none of this baggage, so to speak. And five years later, the next guy heads out and the church moves on. And then the next guy, and the next guy, and the next guy. Or in marriage, divorce after divorce after divorce. What God has spared us from, me and you, is the shipwreck of pastor church divorce. What he's done is he said, Carlton, deal with it. Be right with me and with them. Be transparent. Be open. And push through it in the gospel. Push through it. And so... Why did, in the end, I stay? Why did we make the decision to stay? The reasons to say stay were the call of the gospel. There are a high number, and I don't have the statistics, so I'm not going to say it, a high number of lost people in Cameron County. Aaron, when I told him that 95% of Hong Kong was lost and without God, Aaron said, well, we wouldn't be far off of that here. Just because we don't, they don't have a Christian culture, it's obvious. Because they don't have a religious Christian culture, it's obvious they're lost here. We have a religious Christian moral culture, and so it's harder to distinguish who's saved and who's not. Right? And so the call of the gospel is ignited as I'm in Hong Kong and we're there. The message that was preached that Sunday by Tobin was that of being content in Christ. He handed out that day a little... Um, a little dollar bill, an American dollar bill. He said he did it because in the United States, you write on a dollar bill, it's illegal, but in Hong Kong, it's not. I don't know. But he wrote Luke 12, 21. Are you serving self or God? Are you content or are you serving yourself? If you're not serving God, you're not content. And so in that middle of the message, I was being convicted about the things I've shared with you and also ignited for a passion to come here and really labor for the sake of the gospel. To really lay down under the gospel and say the gospel is what I will push forward and proclaim, not myself. And so in that, the love for Grace Fellowship was ignited. Not that I ever didn't love you, 
but that I loved you wrongly at times and want to love you the way God would have me love you, love you in the gospel. That desire was reignited, in a sense, in my heart and in my soul and in my family's soul. The desire to be an example. Because it's easy to leave and it's hard to stay. And that's true in anything. It's easy to go and say, you know, we'll just chalk that one up, lesson learned, move on. It's better, I think, at this point in my life to say, I learned the lesson, I want to stay, and I want to labor right alongside you. And a reconnection has happened. Since the trip and the time from then till now, I've had personal meetings with many in the church here to confess sin and to allow them to forgive me as a failure and a sinner and also to tell them of how they've offended me and they've apologized and made mended fences. And so that connection that was drifting is growing again. How does it relate really to what the Apostle Paul is saying? As I close, I simply would say this. The point is not whether I stay or go. The point is not whether Hong Kong is a place for me or wherever. The point is, is that the gospel calls each of us to be humbled, to live right, not just with God, but our fellow man, and to labor for the name of Christ. And that can be done and should be done going forward here at Grace Fellowship together, not separately. What is my desire? Well, I hope and I believe my desire has become this. I have found myself in the last two weeks thanking God for you. Not really because there was some systematic reasoning for it, but really just in my own heart, through meetings with some of you and through just time alone with God, I have become more thankful for each of you and your families. And a desire to connect with you on a real level in the gospel is there. The other thing that has happened in, in, in myself, in my heart, is the call of the gospel, as I've mentioned before. And the desire to see Grace Fellowship live out and to preach and teach and evangelize the lost world. It's there. And we're working through different ways to do that. And we're not launching a plan or anything like that today. Just, just want you to know that I am and we are thinking about those things. And more than anything, for a guy that doesn't have a great testimony of family, what I'm more convinced of than ever is that you are my family. That's not a pledge that I will live and die in Aniston. Don't misunderstand that. There may come a day where God says, Carlton, it's time. You need to move forward. And there may come a point where that's what we need to do for the sake of the gospel. But I don't want it to be because I was running. I don't want it to be because I didn't follow through with loving you in Christ the way I should. I want it to be because we are family that I would go not because we've drifted from being a family. And so, my pledge to you as a congregation is to continue to shepherd 
and love you as one who is a brother with you in the gospel. To work for the come of, till the coming of Christ, all of us laboring together as partners in that gospel. And to accept you freely and hopefully be accepted by you freely and loved through the gospel.